There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery. Code Wondery. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number what episode, Katie? 600. That's crazy. What number did you jump on board? I actually, I was trying to remember that, and I think... I mean, it was. Did you, did you jump on in like the two hundreds or the three hundreds or something? Yeah, it was in the three hundreds. You're think. in the like, three hundreds because I think I, I think it was like the late two hundreds, early three hundreds, somewhere around there. Well, it's very exciting that uh, that you've been a part. You know, you know what's coming down the pipeline is a hostful episode where we grill you about your life. People are asking for it. They're I know, demanding I saw the it. Tweets. And I said to someone like, she doesn't like talking about herself, but we're gonna we're gonna make that happen. Okay. Or maybe you do like talking about yourself and we just didn't ask. I, I don't really care either way. All right, maybe good. I'm impartial. So you seem into it. Which is good. <laughs> um I'm uh I just announced a big tour. I'm going on a comedy tour uh next year, hitting a bunch of cities. Well actually First, I'll be in San Francisco at Cobb's December 11th, 12th, and 13th. That's my city. That's your city. And then next year, I'm doing like 16 dates as part of a tour that I have called Fun Comfortable. And I'm hitting a ton of of theater dates. And I believe the the website is axs.com. We'll get you uh, tickets to that. So please come out and see the dates. Um, And then also... Uh, Nerdist has uh, basically a, a little comedy school at Meltdown at our showroom at Meltdown offering classes in improv storytelling sketch writing um, Dan Telfer is one of the people who teaches uh, he's uh, he is also he's one of the people who runs our uh, social media stuff for the at midnight uh, Twitter account and Instagram and anyway go to Nerdist.com slash school for more info or to sign up I always hear them in class and they sound like they're having a great time and I, I have, and people have, I've run into people when I go to Meltdown Comics, and they, uh, I see the joy and the hope <laughs> in their eyes, these young little comedy seedlings. Yeah. But uh, this episode, I'm very glad, was number 600. This is Joe Rogan. Uh, this podcast mashup was long overdue, but uh, Joe, you know what, the thing I love about Joe is, he's not, I guess he's a very funny guy. But he's also, he's 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 built like a like the thing, you know. <laughs> like he's a he's a physically powerful man, but one of like the sweetest, most well-spoken dudes. Yeah, he's a sweetheart. He's such a great guy. He's just a he's just a good guy. Yes. So I'm glad that we finally were able to have him on. Uh, his new comedy special, Rocky Mountain High, is on Comedy Central this Friday, November 21st. Um, it's on at midnight, not our show at midnight. It airs at midnight, uh, or it's on direct.cc.com. So watch Joe Rogan, his new comedy special, or listen to his podcast, uh, which is very popular with the kids. 
Uh, it's a Nerdist episode number 600. Joe Rogan. Now entering Nerdist.com. Finally on the podcast. That's what I was just saying. <laughs> it took to years. It took literal to years. Engineer this. Years. Hundreds and hundreds of podcasts. Doing your podcast. Came together. Uh, five years. Five years. So yeah. we're we're four Holy and almost. Shit. We're almost five. We're like Holy four and four and a half. We're gonna be reaching a point where we're all gonna be like, I've been doing it for ten years. I know, it's right? Fucking ridiculous. I love that, dude. Oh yeah, this is the guest book. <laughs> we'll have to this later. <laughs> It's just um, a, it's a skinned Wookiee though. It's kind of like real sad, <laughs> but especially with the on Bandolero. Life Day. Yeah, this is yeah a, you this took is, his ammo. Well, that's this how is a it small. Lets you know. This is just a small patch. Like he could have survived this. Mm, <laughs> not likely <laughs> <No>. infections <laughs> and what have you. The rest of them just turned turn into a rug. Isn't it funny though that I knew exactly what it was? Like yeah. if it didn't have this on it, yeah, I would have no idea what it was. Confused. Yeah, yeah. This, the the Bandolero is like the 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 essential quality of yeah Chewbacca. Yeah, that you could see anything sort of like sandy hair. And you'd be like, I don't know what that, but then you put this on. You take that know. off, it's an Ewok. That's it so, it, yeah, Ewok. it's really interesting how that just, well, I mean, that doesn't even really look like the bandolier. I mean, it kind of does. You know what it's it not, is? It's just this visual pattern of yeah. brown, silver, brown, silver, brown. Mm-hmm. And then boom, your brain goes, that's Chewbacca. Chewbacca. Yep, that's yeah. what he's become. This is what he's been reduced to. Mm, poor, this is poor Chewbacca. He's like, fine. I can't imagine Disney would ever release something so silly. Well, you've got to remember, they gave Luke a new hand, so they could probably yeah. regrow his skin. Probably, yeah, you're probably yeah. right. Less complicated. Graft him a robot skin. Ooh. I, his I, I, all built in now. It was Ooh. pretty great when that happened. Uh, when Luke got his hand cut when, off? When Luke I got his hand cut off, you're like, how the fuck is that? And then... You know, when they finally did pay it off, they're like, oh, they just made him another hand. It's like, yeah. not, a big, not a big deal at all, it turns out. He just got a robot hand. Well, there was this guy who got attacked by a shark in Australia, and it bit his leg off, and it bit his arm off. And he was walking around talking, and he had a carbon fiber arm and a carbon fiber leg. He had no limp. I mean, his leg wow. was from the knee down, and his arm was uh, from the elbow down. I guess the, the shark just came along and just took both of them. But... I mean, he's gesturing and moving his hands around. And I was like, wow, we're not that far away Holy shit. from well, you see a real the, Luke Skywalker fake hand. Did you see the Elon Musk tweet that got deleted over the weekend? No. Where he was warning everyone that, like, we have to be careful with artificial intelligence because oh, within yeah. five to ten years, I think this is going to be very, very bad. Because so you think one of the AIs, exponentially. You think one of the AIs, like, deleted his tweet? Maybe. You never know. <laughs> well, did you ever see Transcendent Man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the doctor yeah. from um, China, the, uh, the professor, rather, from China, who was uh, calling them Artilex, artificial intelligence. He was referred to them as Artilex, and he was saying that, if it were to happen, if, if it does happen, like essentially you're talking about a grain of sand that has more computing power than any computer that's ever been created on Earth, and an entire being that's made out of these would be a god. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're fucked. <laughs> so let's enjoy. Buckle so we might even everybody. make it to ten years of we podcasting. Are fucked. Well, Elon had a weird quote too. He, he had a quote called uh, "It was summoning the demon." I think is what he said. Yeah, that we're me, summoning the pull, demon. Can you pull the exact quote up, Katie? Look up Elon Musk a deleted tweet AI. It's just going to be like AI was pretty good. Haley Joel Osment was great. No, you know, the other one. When, <laughs> when Elon Musk says shit like that, he must understand like what. 
how much responsibility he carries on his shoulders. Yes. Because he can't just... Like, you and I can offhandedly say shit like that, and people are like, ah, is it... Yeah. When Elon yeah. Musk says it, people are like, what, 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 what was that? Yeah. Because you're in charge of a lot of technology. You were also uh, in Iron Man 2 yeah. for like a second. <laughs> yeah, for, you... for a brief... <laughs> for just a quick second. I and mean, he makes the first viable electric car that, yeah. like, rich people drive. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Not just Ed Begley Jr. Yeah. No, all, all of them. Yeah, because Ed... Remember Ed Begley had that show, Something Green? What was it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The green, like the yeah. green planet show, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. super into recyclable, yep. sustainable living. You know, solar power, everything. And so, him driving around one of those cars was like. But now, like everybody has yeah. one of those fucking Teslas. Yeah, but Elon Musk was like, he's so fucking. He's, he's amazing. So smart. He's amazing. Yeah, he is. He's Which is why we should heed his advice. Oh, Everyone, yeah. turn this off immediately. <laughs> yeah. No, wait a second. Get now, let's not, let's not be get hasty. to your bunker. Uh, the pace of progress is artificial intelligence. I'm not referring to narrow AI is incredibly fast unless you have direct exposure to groups like DeepMind. You have no idea how fast. No. The risk of something seriously dangerously happening in five years of time frame, 10 years. Of, yes. The risk of something seriously dangerous happening is in the five-year time frame, 10 years at most. But that's not a tweet. That's a... Uh, well, it was connected. It was a... It was one of those twit longer tweets, you know, oh, one, of those, uh, one of those dealies where you gotcha. go over those are, the 140 those are characters. Yep. You, people are cheating with yeah, that twit I don't longer. Care I don't think they know how Twitter works if you do that. Yeah. You shouldn't, you know. Gordon Ramsay always does that. Come on, dummy. Come on. <laughs> trim the fat, Gordo. <laughs> trim the fat. <laughs> too much fat in these tweets. He's very verbose. <laughs> that Gordon Ramsay. He's got a lot to say. <laughs> a lot to say about food. Master Chef Junior. Oh boy, what a trip! Wow, that five is. years, Rogan. That's amazing. Yeah. So as long as we've been doing podcasting, as long as this Joe has been thing, doing podcasting, this thing that just started, AI is going thing to that get was us. just like, yeah. well, you know, stand-ups aren't really on television that much anymore. What do we do? Well, let's start talking <laughs> on the internet, and now that has become the cornerstone of all of our lives. Yeah. It's Yours, ridiculous. Marin's, Kevin's. You know, like Corolla's, like all of us, like pod, this podcast. Ari Shafir, Joey yeah. Diaz, Duncan Trust. I mean, you can go down the line. There's so many people that are doing podcasts now. It's almost more are than aren't. It's yep. rare. Bill Burr. It's rare when you meet a guy who doesn't have a podcast. I know. And I have met, you know, and it's really funny. I met, uh, I, and I never get. I never get arrogant about our podcast, but there was one minute where uh, Greg Proops was flying. We were all on a plane to a fa- maybe it was to a San Francisco sketch comedy festival or something, and he was with Joel Murray, uh, Bill Murray's yeah. brother, and and I met him, and I was like, "Oh, hey, yeah, uh, yeah, listen, if you ever want to c- come on the podcast sometime," he was like, "Oh, you got a podcast too, huh?" Like, sort of like, and I was like, "Well, I." It's a pretty, it's doing pretty well. Like I kind of, I almost got a little defensive. Like, yeah, I know everyone's got a podcast, but it's not. But you know, it's like, still like, yeah. No, he was right. Well, they're, they're he was definitely right. right. Yeah, but I remember when I used to, would tell people I had a podcast, they would go, "Why? Yeah, <laughs> yep. like what are you, what are you doing?" And yep. I was like, "Ah, oh, it's fun." And we started doing it on UStream. It was me oh, and my shit, friend yeah. Brian. We just sat in front of the computer. Brian Redband is on the show all the time. We sat in front of my laptop in my living room and just answered questions on Twitter, just fucking around. It was completely non-planned. It wasn't like I think I need a podcast. Mm-hmm. It was. I just moved back to L.A. from Colorado. I was pretty bummed out that I had to move back to L.A. Um, my wife got pregnant, and we were up in the mountains, and it was just way too high elevation, and we had to go back to sea level. And so I was loving the mountains. It was yeah. like so peaceful. It was such a total, complete 
polar opposite of like being in front of large crowds and cities and all the stuff that I was used to when I was doing stand up. I was like, wouldn't it be great if I could live in like the mountains and then go down? And so I thought I had it wired. Yeah. So now all of a sudden I'm back in LA. I'm like, shit. <laughs> so I started doing this podcast thing, just fucking around. And it was like, all right, we did it one week. And we're like, all right, this is fun. We'll do it next Monday. We'll see you guys Monday. So then we did it next Monday. And then we did it like a couple weeks later. And then we started putting it up on iTunes. And then before you know it, it was like this weekly thing that is taking over my life. You yeah. know, it's like I have a big studio that's just completely dedicated to it. And I'm doing what three, was in the four studio a week. Before? Did you build out the structure? It was just an um, a office. It's, a, it's an office park. Yeah. You know, like it's just a oh, regular. Oh, so you have it outside of the house. You just yeah. Go, I had it in my house like for a while. I had it in my house for a while, and then um, we did it at the ice house for a while. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted it to be closer to my house, so um, now I just I rent this big office space. It's essentially it's huge. It's a warehouse, and it's got all this other jazz yeah. to it. And I just built this studio inside of it and made it kind of funky yeah. and did what I wanted to do with it. But it's now it's just, I go to work. You yeah. know, it's it's my Holy job shit. spot. It's How weird. How many do you put out a week? Depends. Sometimes only two. Sometimes as many as five. No more than five. I think. I think that's the most I've ever put out That'd in a be week. Excessive. If you went up to like seven. Like, yeah. Well, just <laughs> like five days in the work week. Because it is kind of like I know Corolla does like five a day yeah, or something. It's, right. Whatever he does is ridiculous. It's <laughs> yeah, a lot. And he's, then he's catching contractors on Saturdays. Yeah. How the fuck does? That, <laughs> and then he's doing stand up yeah. and or do live, at least live podcasts. Like how the fuck does he have time to do all that shit? I think that's all he does. He does that and then like jerks off on a car. Like that's well, what his <laughs> life is. <laughs> Katie knows. She used to work for Adam. Yeah, he used to work at Ace. Oh, wow. Still, it's, where does he get that time? It's it just pretty, crazy. It's pretty crazy. It's just the sandwich. I don't know. Is that a great life or is that like. Yeah, of course it is because he was doing morning radio before that. That's a te- Morning radio oh, is sure. a terrible life. That's a terrible well, life. You're, you're getting up at 3.30 yeah. every morning and you're just, you're, you're, uh, your schedule is opposite everyone else in the world. Yeah. And you're just tired all the time. Yeah. And there's so much pressure when you're doing radio to, you know, just to. There's just all the corporate pressure. You know what he should have done is moved to New York and done drive time L.A. That way you can get up at like nine, right? You know that's smart, guys. Yeah. Uh, or he could just do a do podcast radio. and own it all himself <laughs> yeah, and not have, not have to worry about yeah. content boundaries. Yeah, well, not only just content boundaries, but also like the method of distribution. Like you could just kind of like just put it out any way you want mm-hmm. now. Like my our show's on Stitcher, it's on YouTube, UStream, Vimeo, iTunes, uh, regular MP3. It's impossible it's not like, to get it. it yeah. Yeah, like, it's easy to do. There's no one can complain about not being able to download the podcast. And you can pause. Yes. Like, when you're listening yes. to radio, like, the, it would be really frustrating. I'd be listening to Stern or something like that, and some really interesting guest would come on, and I'm like, yep. fuck, i got to go in this building. I yep. can't listen to this. Yep. I have to shut it off. And then you come back. You can't just pick up where mm-hmm. you left off. It's gone. And that's the worst thing, like, about a work day, for some reason. Whenever I, like, w- would get in the car in the morning, I'd hear the same part of Stern when I was leaving. Right. Like, I'd catch the replay at the exact <laughs> yes. same second I got in the car in the morning. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> exactly, Stern right? sort of the... Stern might... Oh, here's where Stern, Sal teabags Richard again. <laughs> Stern sort of the original podcaster in a weird sort of Essentially, way. I mean, certainly carved the path. Oh, if absolutely. it wasn't for, you know, his really controversial style of radio... It wouldn't have opened up that medium, like the even the idea of that medium. Mm-hmm. It was like the initial foot through the door because there was always like wacky DJs. Like when I was uh, in Boston, it was Charles Lockwadera. <laughs> <laughs> wow, the morning, the, the big mattress. So 
the you know big mat. You know Charles Laquadera? Yes. Yeah. He was like the big Holy mattress shit. with Charles Laquadera. Like, that's what I listened to. I was delivering Holy newspapers. Shit. He was like, the, like, they used to have like a guy in every town would yeah. be like a big shot. Yeah. And now those those guys are like few and far between. You got like Kevin and Bean. Yeah, they're still in L.A. Yep. There's a couple people in like various markets. You know. Well, when I get back, when I go back to Boston and I turn on the radio and I still hear like Lauren and Wally in the morning, I'm like, oh, really? Fuck, you guys are hanging on, huh? You're doing Maddie it. in the morning. Maddie too. in the morning He's is still, still on. Yeah, yes, He's still there. Bob and Tom, if you're in the Midwest. Oh yeah, yeah. Bob yeah, and Tom. Bob, Bob and Tom. They've been show. doing it for more than thirty years, right? Jeez. Or something yeah. crazy like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're very nice guys too, and it's a great. Far- have you, I'm sure you've done the show a yeah. few times. Yeah. I've only done it once. I did Bob and Tom once? It's a, it's a real nice formula that they have. They just sort of have the structure of the show, but they just have comics come on, and you get to just be funny, and then yeah. and that's it. But it gives them content for the show, and you promote whatever it is that you're there. You know, like yeah, every date you're yeah. Trying to promote. But uh, yeah, they're good guys. But you know, syndicated to a bunch of markets. But you know, it's funny that. You know, that, that whole process, that whole infrastructure of like, well, you have to get syndicated. There's only so much bandwidth. So, you know, it's like, where do you, it's very difficult to get onto radio or you could just talk into your phone and upload it to the internet and yeah. then have it be readily available to everyone immediately. I've done a bunch of them on planes. Oh, have you really? Yeah, with friends. Like uh, I did a series podcast on a plane where we just sit there like we were flying to a gig and we just I put the iPhone in between the two of us and we just talk and the fucking iPhone is fine. I mean, you hear that like the plane That's, and the lady come over, would you guys like something to drink? Like you hear all that, you know. But it's, it's kind of nice cuz yeah. it's sort of cuz I think one of the fun things about Listening to a podcast is feeling like it's very immersive. Like yeah. you sort of feel like you're there and you're a part of the room. So if you if people have like weird room tone, then it almost as long as it's not obtrusive, it, it really gives you the sense like yeah. oh you're you're sitting in the next seat. Like that person yes. listener has the window it's seat. And you guys, are I remember like over. doing. Like, I was on the road with Doug uh, Benson and like we're in a rental car, me, him, and Graham, and all of a sudden he pulls out his iPhone. Is like let's do a mini. So we do a miniature podcast in the car, and it's like. Can't yeah. we just have this time to us? Well, <laughs> I, know, I know, right? But these things are actually pretty good. They've like got, an yeah. iPhone is actually pretty good as far as like voice recording. Uh-huh. My only my only concern about recording onto the iPhone is that um, you know, particularly with with the latest OS, is that it, it, the phone has been crashing a lot. Like apps are crashing a lot. Oh, I would be itself, fucking yeah. devastated. You, you're crashing a lot. Yeah, yeah. My, yeah. Yeah, I've been having a lot of crashes. Yeah, lately. I've been having it just reboot on me for no reason. Reboot. I've, I've yeah. had yes. that too. Yes. I yeah. have had that happen. And you don't want, you know. Right. You just. But you know what I would do is, I, I mean, whenever I do a show, I record all my shows. Mm-hmm. I did lose a show, though, man. Oh. I lost fuck. 40. Who'd you lose? I, no, a show, just, like yeah. a stand up comedy show at the improv. I had all this new shit I was working on, too. I was so psyched. I lost 40 then, minutes in Minnesota and it was once just for this gone. fucking app. No! It just, it just vanished off my phone. And I was like, after I got off stage, I was like, fuck yeah, I recorded that one. There's so much good shit in that because it was all this new stuff that I'm, I added a couple of taglines. A few things came out just on the spur on stage. I was like, ah, this is good. And then I got to my phone, I pressed save. Blip. What? Where'd it go? Yeah. Just gone. Gone. There's no one to. There's no one to punch for that. I no. had to do it, and then I got off stage. It was when we were in Minneapolis in the winter last year, and I did like 40 minutes, and then I got off the stage, and then I hit pause, and it, 
said that I'd recorded 21 seconds. <laughs> so, well, sometimes it happens if you don't, if you don't blank this, the phone out. Like, you'll accidentally touch it as you're setting it yeah. down or something like that. I record, like, I have a whole series. Of, this is, like, the last. Oh, look at you naming them. Oh, yeah. I have that, too. I do that, too. I do the same yeah. exact thing where I name, I, I name the set. Yeah. I have to name them. I just have Otherwise, a date. I used to do that, too. But then I got so confused. And, like, there'd be times where I really needed to know what the show yeah. was. Yeah. You know, but you could... It's good enough. It's Kids, it's good enough. If you want to do a podcast on your own, yeah. fucking grab your iPhone. Then you absolutely could. Yeah, see, I've got, look, Helium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There it is. You were, which Helium were you at? The one in uh, Portland. Portland yeah. That's Last amazing. That, may, that one's amazing. Yeah, they're good. The Heliums are good. Heliums are yeah. good. I heard the Heliums in Buffalo is really good, too. I've really? been to the Buffalo one, just the yeah. Philly one. Philly yeah, one and Philly's in Portland. Mm-hmm. They're good guys, too, the guys who own it. If you want to see Todd Glass, just head to Helium in Philadelphia around the holidays. Is That's, he always there? Yeah, he just goes home to visit his mom, and then oh, he just he does a week of shows. <laughs> That's smart. Well, so, so, okay, so first of all, your, your new special is on November 21st. Yeah, this Friday night. This Friday night. So, but in addition to that, what are the what are the major tentpole things that you're working on besides the podcast and the special? Well, that the, the special this right now I'm in this scary transitionary phase cuz the 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 special's done. It's been done for 3 months. So all I've been doing for the past 3 months is writing, mm-hmm. trying to come up with new material because as of Friday my axe in the toilet. Done. You got to start all. Of, <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't go on the road and do that stuff anymore. I'm um, terrified. So that that is the primary concern right now is creating new material. But you know, then I'm also I have obligations for the UFC. Like I was in Mexico City this weekend doing commentary for the fights, and then you know obviously the podcasts. And I have a sci-fi deal that I'm in the middle of trying to figure out whether or not I'm going to continue doing that. Mm-hmm. I think that's it. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's yeah. plenty. That's, a lot of that's shit. plenty of shit. And then I obviously have wife and kids and family and <laughs> that's, real life. That's all the other time. <laughs> Don't count that. Don't count that. Uh, it's, it, it, you know, it, all, it makes things interesting, that's for sure. How have you found, I mean, you know, when I look at, usually when I get trolled by people, it's usually the same type of person. And that person has some configuration of. A sports team on their homepage, almost <laughs> always UFC, MMA, yeah. wrestling. Like, there's a certain type of guy that has hated me my entire life. It's, it's just Mayhem Miller hating him. <laughs> <laughs> and they still. So, how have you found? I mean, you know, not to disparage any uh, kind, gentle wrestling MMA fans slash <laughs> MMA fans, because I know that I know a lot of people are cool who like that stuff, but I do find it to be, it can be a particularly aggressive verbally aggressive bunch yeah so when you started stepping into the ufc spotlight did you notice that right away like hey what the fuck guys come on well fortunately i started doing it before social media was even even existed you were grandfathered in the cool club already i I started in 97 that's when i did the first post-fight interviews for the ufc oh my god yeah and then i became the commentator in 2002 so it's been 12 years of being the guy explaining what's happening and i'm like a you know for kids that they're 22 they, i was you know they were 10 when they used to listen to me so it's like it's a part of i'm the a part of the whole thing when did news radio end 99 99 oh so you yeah. started ufc during news radio yes yeah and it was like when i would tell people about it this is when news, the ufc was Nobody knew what it was. It yeah. was like I was doing porn. I was going off to do like <laughs> underground kind pit, of a thing. Pit yeah. bull porn yeah. in a 
cage. You know, right. that's what it was like. It was just, it was like, why are you doing that? Like, that's going to ruin your life. And I was like, I don't know. I like, I like it. <laughs> it was a bizarre thing to be a part of. And um, so, but you know, now that it's become actually like a mainstream sport, I'm kind of vindicated, but it could have easily just been some disaster. Well, you know, fucking. the important thing though, is that is, as long as you continue to make choices for things that are fun for you, that's the best, you know, it's like doing a podcast. Yeah. That also could have been like basement porn it's to, it's to some people. It's, what are you doing? You know, but well, now it kind of was too. I mean, when I first started podcasting, like the, the why thing was joking around, but not really like people were really saying like, why are you doing that? You're talking about all this crazy shit. Right. And you're just putting it up on the internet for people to get for free. Like what the fuck is wrong My with you? My favorite was like, well then why not just do a radio show? Like, yes. Oh yeah. That's the easy way to go. Yeah. <laughs> well, just get somebody to pay me. Jesus. Yeah, what am I doing? Do yeah. Yeah. You know how hard it is to get a morning gig, <laughs> like a radio gig or an afternoon gig. And even so you're going to have to play music and yep. all that other shit and deal with bosses and they're going to give you guidelines as to what to be discussed and not and just you know news radio by the way was just one of those such it's such a special show that just i mean i remember that that was one of those shows that was funny from the first episode like it didn't necessarily have to find like it was just a super weird quirky funny show like right off the bat and everyone had a really strong character right off the bat uh, and I I miss that show. I really do miss that show. We're doing some reunion at Sketchfest in San Francisco in January. It's going to be really interesting. Oh, we're going to awesome. all get together and talk and get, go on stage and have a weird thing with it. It's like it's we're going to wind up crying. Oh my god, <laughs> that's going to be amazing though. Yeah, we were at Phil's. Um, Phil just got a Hollywood Walk of Fame thing. Just now? It took yeah. that long? Yeah, believe it or not. And we were there the other day, and it was Paul Sims and Josh Lieb and Joe Fury and the writers and producers and Stephen Root and Candy Alexander were there, and we were the only um, actors that were there. But it was just so strange, so strange to yeah. think like, wow, that was twenty years ago, guys. <laughs> you know, we started in nineteen ninety four. Tubalcane was twenty years ago. <laughs> I remember. Oh well, this is how long this this is. Fuck, this this dates me by using news radio as the carbon dating method. I remember watching. I think the first episode of news radio I saw was while Jenny McCarthy and I were at uh, Lake Havasu for doing the spring break to do the first two episodes of Singled Out. Wow. It was the first time I saw, because that was 94. That was yeah. 94. And, yeah, that, and that's when I first saw news radio. Wow. And of course, you know, I was a day, I loved Foley. Uh, I mean, I was the hugest Kids in the Hall fan. And of course, Phil. But, um, you know, that, that, that I, I have a very vivid memory of being at spring break and watching, and watching fucking news radio. At yeah. Night. I, I mean, it was so good that it kind of, shied me away from ever doing any sitcoms ever again yeah. i just and when news radio came along uh i had a development deal to do my own show and uh they like they were sitting me down with writers and all this and i got a chance to see the pilot like the pilot was somebody else it was ray romano he got fired and they brought in some new guy for the pilot and then they fired him and then they showed wow. me the pilot and you know they're like do you still want to do your own show? And I was like, no, <laughs> like, I want to do that. Yeah. So I wound up auditioning for it and, uh, I wound up getting that. And then after it was over, I, I, I had a, like a bunch of like really bad scripts sent my way and really bad ideas and really, and then met with some people and it was just, it seemed so gross. I was like, Oh no, like I went to the promised land too early. Like yeah. now I'm fucked. Like I, I can't go to just like do a shitty sitcom afterwards because i would be living in hell yeah 
You peaked. So I, you I wound up. That's one of the one of the core reasons, other than money, that I chose to do Fear Factor. Oh wow! Because I was like, I just don't want to do it. I can't. I, I don't want to work with actors. I don't want to. I don't want to do any of that. I think I auditioned for Fear Factor. <laughs> there was the, the. This was uh, and not not in a disrespectful way, but you were sort of the name that my manager and I would joke about whenever. When the longest time I would audition before I actually started getting hired, like I went through a I went through a bad period, Joe, <laughs> and uh, and so I would. I would. I went this period where I would get really close and test for something, and then we would sort of joke like, "Well, you know, they're just going to offer it to Joe Rogan, right?" <laughs> and and then you'd swoop in and get like you you like it for the longest time. It was like, "God damn it, Rogan!" You know, <laughs> Chris was so close to calling the early UFC matches. <laughs> that was never in danger of happening. There were so many shows that I almost got when I look back now, where I'm like, I don't know if I would have done a good job at that show. Like, I don't know if I would have done a good job at Fear Factor. And I don't. And the other one was Wipeout. I like, I almost got Wipeout, <sighs> and I didn't get it. Did they Same end guys. up giving it to John Henson? They gave it to John you? Henson. You yeah, that yeah, they gave it to John Henson. Yeah, they offered me that too. <laughs> <laughs> It was the same guys, the same oh, guys yeah, who did Fear yeah. Factor, but it was it was tricky because that was like a green screen thing. Yeah, like you weren't really oh, there right. yeah, while it was there, all yeah. going on. You had to do it after the fact, so it was like it would have fucked up my quote, you know, in, yeah. in terms of the business, you know. But it was um, same guys. Now so I don't remember how they dealt with this, but just going back to news radio for a sec. But so Phil died during news radio. Yeah, Phil so died they... in between seasons four and season. Five. That was in '98. I remember he was in yeah. '98. So what? How did the show deal with that? John Lovitz came. Oh, on. Oh, John Lovitz came on. Yeah. That's yeah. right. John, we had a <clears throat> we had a fu- like a funeral for Phil on the show, or like a um, like a goodbye episode. It was <sighs> that was brutal. Yeah, Bill. They did a funeral for Bill. It's hard to talk. Like I'll start crying if I really start thinking about it. Well, do you? Uh, so you think when you do this reunion, are you nervous about it a little bit in San oh, Francisco? We'll cry. Yeah, it's inevitable. It is what it is. I mean, it is what it just fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah, there's just no. You know, I mean, like I'm tearing up right now. There's no way around it. That just speaks to how fucking awesome Phil Hartman must have been to be around. This yeah. like twenty years later, you're still well. This is now what? It was almost fifteen. It was everything was awful. The whole the everything about it was awful. You know the fact that his kids were in the house that was awful. His wife killed him and then killed herself. That was awful. You know, it was just it was like something that you never thought could happen to someone you know. You know, you, you would thought like. I mean, people die, they get old, they get sick, but no one's going to murder anybody that you right. know, especially not the two people that you know. Like, I knew both of them, mm-hmm. you know. It was uh, it, it opened my eyes up, though. It opened my eyes up to the, the actual real dangers of bad relationships. Like, I always thought of bad relationships as just like, oh, you fight, but, you know, that's unfortunate, but, hey, it is what it is. You, they're always yelling at each other, but what are you going to do? I never thought I would know two people that wound up actually killing each other like I, I never thought that that would be possible well bad relationships and also drugs and addiction and- zoloft as well zoloft and drugs together which creates some sort of a psychotic effect apparently I, I you know but i know that there was a settlement there was a settlement with zoloft that apparently the kids got or somebody got you know i don't know but um there was a lot of issues she was a she was a mess I mean, obviously, but mm. without the drugs, without the Zoloft, yeah. she was a mess. She was like a failed actress who like deeply resented his success. And as he became more and more successful, their relationship became more and more contentious. And it was just, 
like she would embarrass him and insult him publicly. It was it was ugly. They had ugly, ugly falling out sort of fights. And they would break up, and he would go live on. He had a boat, like a little sailboat. He'd go live on his sailboat. I think it was a sail, some sort of a boat. And then he would come back, and you know they would make up. And you just hope that I mean, for a guy who was legitimately one of the funniest people in comedy, yeah. And so many people, you know, and I've said that, I said this before about you know about Robin, and just like it's it's such it's so heartbreaking to me. That some of the people who bring the most joy to the world can yeah. never they just never are able to connect to that or they or they have such you know horrible circumstances that don't allow them to really you know even kind of appreciate the fact that they make so many people so happy yeah. even if he did appreciate it, you know the more i've I've grown to understand clinical depression and having friends that are depressed or friends that have gone through depression that have sought treatment it's like it is as much of a disease as cancer. It's as much of a di- and it's a it's a marginalized sort of a disease where people have this like, oh, just suck it up right. attitude. But there's something going on in some people's brains, man, and it's just it is what it is. And some people don't they they just don't ever recover from whatever it is and they wind up taking their own life and for robin williams one of the things i have a, a good friend who's an endocrinologist and he specializes in um traumatic brain injuries and he has written a paper on the correlations between heart surgery and depression and suicide in fact wow. that apparently what happens when you whenever you undergo like a very serious surgery like heart surgery where you know they they have to stop your heart and cut you open and you're under anesthesia for prolonged periods of time apparently there's some significant hormonal deficiencies after it's over your your body is just in the shock and it can affect the way your body produces hormones and serotonin and dopamine and growth hormone and testosterone and all sorts of different things. And it can lead people to be just unbelievably depressed, just, just devastated. Just, they just can't, they feel like they can't get through life. Mm-hmm. And, um, Robin went through open heart surgery in 2009 and, uh, he has, you know, this theory that that was sort of like the beginning of the end for him. Mm-hmm. And then it just started off this downward spiral. Well, I think, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I just wish because obviously there's nothing there's nothing really you can tell someone, especially if they're going through something. You can't just go, hey, right. uh, you know, because when someone is really, really, yeah. you just feel helpless, helpless. and you just feel like I, I don't I want to help you. And I, I don't know what to I don't know what to do. So I think, you know, I think if we're going to try to raise awareness for depression uh, in our society, one of the things that we should do is to. You know how to help someone cope with it if you're someone very on the inner on in their inner circle. Like yeah. How do you how do you help them? What can you do? You know because obviously the the what is intuitive is like hey snap out of it. Like right. It's not right. It's not really helpful. Doesn't do a damn thing. I had a friend who was on the verge of suicide, and he confided in me, and he confided in several of us, and you know he's hiding it for a while and didn't want to talk about it, and then, you know, we we had like he had this breakdown moment, and I said, listen, let me let me make a call because I I know a guy who had a good friend that went through a similar situation. I'll see what I can do, and uh, I connected him with a psychiatrist, and he got on some pills, and boom, pulled right out of it. It's like he was like on 
on the door, like on the suicide door. And now he's doing great. Oh, that's good. I mean, he's so happy. Wow. He's so different. It was just like his brain. And here's what's really fascinating. It was directly connected to him using Propecia. Propecia, and this is another thing that a paper that uh, my friend, the uh, endocrinologist, the sent me. Yes, the hair pill is directly it's really a prostate pill. Yes, well, Scott's originally the top of my head called yes. Proscar. I was on it too. It kills your dick like a fucking bullet. <laughs> it but, does. Yeah, it killed mine. Yeah. No, it did it? Did you good. recover from it? Yes. Oh, good. Snap right back. This is how I found out. My dick's out. fine, guys. You're, you're, well, everybody has their own standards. <laughs> I didn't realize there was anything wrong with me until I ran out of it. And I was like, oh, I got to get my prescription refilled. And all of a sudden, like, I'm like, why do I have hard-ons all the time? Like, what the fuck is going on? And then I realized, like, oh, I was probably like, poisoning myself. <laughs> and um, um, my friend got on it. And uh, right away, like, that's when the depression started. Mm. And for some people, you know, it's not everybody. A lot of people get through it like you and they have no problems with it at all. But then other, it's just, it's, it inhibits dihydrotestosterone and that's what causes hair loss. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, you can cause a cascade of different events inside your body or not because of, you know, there's a lot of biodiversity in human beings. There's so also I, a reason that you should think twice about putting something into your body that they caution pregnant women not to touch. Don't touch it. <laughs> not eat it. Don't touch don't it. Don't touch it. Because of the DHT? Yes. Yeah. Well, no, because of you know the it, it'll just it, get into the pores it, and then what, what it does to inhibit DHT can have an adverse effect on uh, the fetus. Very, very dangerous for pregnant women. Jesus. So is cat shit, by the way. Oh. Women are not supposed to go anywhere near litter boxes because of something called toxoplasma, toxoplasmosis. Toxoplasma is a cat parasite that infects rats, and it changes the sexual drive of rats and gets rats to be attracted to cat piss to the point where it literally causes their testes to swell, causes them to be sexually aroused, and reduces their fear of cats to be like non-existent. So instead of being terrified of cats, they're actually attracted to they're cats. super turned on to cats. And then cats eat them, kill them, and then cats get this cat parasite, which apparently doesn't affect the, the behavior of cats that much, but it gets into humans. And it, it affects humans because of livestock grazing. Is this why I've been fucking all those cats? Could be. Okay. Um, but like cr the crazy cat lady thing, mm -hmm. like that's real. Toxoplasmosis affects 60% of Brazil, uh, something, around, something around 60 million Americans have it. And it also has a direct relationship to successful soccer teams. Because, what? Yes. So yeah. what freakonomics are we in now? Because it makes men more aggressive. It makes men more aggressive, uh, more sexually charged, apparently, and it may, in fact, even make women more submissive. And this cat parasite has also. There's a guy named Robert Sapolsky. He's a, a professor at Stanford, and he's like studied this like for years, and he's got all these really fascinating lectures online. That's and amazing. So the next time I get all caps trolled by someone, I can just write back like. Toxoplasma much? <laughs> Do you have a yeah. cat? You need to get rid of is, is, is it something that people, like if they get rid of the cat and they're not around anymore, does it diminish in their system? Or is No, it you have it. When you have it, you have it. It's just a part of your body now. Oh, and how is it? Is it transmittable? It's transmittable. Uh, I think like if you like probably like blood or maybe shit or something like that because it's, That's you know, That's a way. it's a parasite. Wait a minute, guys. It'd so probably have to be some way for it to get into your body. It'd probably, you know, it'd probably be difficult but transmittable. You know what this means is that with all the 
popularity of cat videos on Instagram on yes. that means the internet has toxoplasmosis. Could be. Yeah. This is that's what's going on. That's yeah. why Is that why the internet's balls are swelling? Yes. Well, that's one, why people are so fascinated with cats. One of the things Sapolsky found was that there's uh, also a direct correlation between motorcycle accidents and because it makes people reckless. So they would get these motorcycle accidents in and they would say, test the guy for toxo. And they would test him for toxo and he said a disproportionate amount of these motorcycle accidents were caused by people who had toxoplasmosis infections. That's incredible. Incredible. I, I so it would make them wild. Like, the Bang. real moral of the story is get a fucking dog. Get a dog. <laughs> I have two cats already and another one on the way. And uh, one of my cats was feral. You know, I, oh, yeah? I had a feral cat from the time I was like a little baby. My friend, she found this, this like a near apartment building. It's like a long time ago. Uh, found this this cat who had gotten kittens, and they sort of captured all of them, and you know, tried to hand them out to people. And I'm a big sucker for strays, sure. so I took this fucking crazy cat into my house. <laughs> never, <laughs> long never, time ago. never, never came around, or did he? Oh, he was crazy. He would let me touch him and pet him, and he would like purr when I, everybody else was like. <laughs> Anybody, oh yeah, that's anybody a, came near him. If you've never hiss. actually encountered a feral cat, it's the sounds they make are genuinely fucking terrifying. Oh, like yeah. that hit you on a level where you go, "I'm not supposed to be. I'm not supposed to go near that thing." <laughs> like, the, like it's that yeah. weird. Like they they do this like popping hiss sound. Yeah. That's fuck. That's, that's the sound of the claws coming out. It's fucking violent, <laughs> man. <Snicked. laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So you got so you so you quit, so you stopped Snick taking the greatest. Noise. <laughs> Did you go back in the propecia? After no, that? no, no, I just fucking shaved my head. Yeah, that's the way. <laughs> but to I, I shaved. I I uh, quit the propecia long before I shaved my head. But you have a good just, head shape. Thank though, you. So you can I'm shave lucky. Unfortunately, divots. Some people. I have I have some scars, but some people have like a flat back to the head, which is very odd. Like they have. A, it goes oh, like, like they this, were like babies across. that were laid on their back for maybe. too long. I think yeah. Maybe my head's a little flat in the back. Actually, I don't think I would look good with a shaved head. I think I would look good. I look like a fucking golf ball when I shave my head. It was so bad. It was to me. It was, it was so like freeing. Little though. pockets of like because I couldn't get into the pockets of divots that I for some reason have in my head. So it was just like <laughs> little patchy like. I was Weird. a Barbie doll that a kid cut the hair off of. Because <laughs> you, like, you couldn't get in there. Well, you can get some nair. <laughs> yeah, just like... Uh. Which is probably also super bad for you. <laughs> probably not good to put yeah. in your head. Probably not really yeah. good to put in your head. But you said it was freeing to shave your head. Oh, yeah. Just not to think about it. No shampoo anymore. Oh, I was never worry nice. about it. Because nice. if, like... It can't fall out anymore. Like mm-hmm. it's like that's gone. That. Do your worst, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but you can still get head cancer, I guess. If you're walking around, your skin could get cancer. You got a hat on, so you're fine. Yes. Right. Well, it's not even light in here. <laughs> <laughs> no when did you get super ripped? What period of time was that? Because Joe Rogan from News Radio was just like a, a re- it seemed like to be a no, regular size guy. Joe Rogan uh, from they, News Radio I, that was like cut. one of the things I was always having to take my shirt off for weird reasons. Yeah, well, I was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for, not for weird reasons, just because I didn't really lift weights much back then. Though it was just kickboxing, so I was like leaner. And then I started getting into jujitsu in like ninety six, ninety six, ninety seven. And then, like, somewhere around then, I started really lifting weights because I was tired of getting my ass kicked. Like, that was the thing. The thing about jujitsu also is you're trying to protect your joints just with armor because uh, I became fascinated by this martial art that involved, like, the goal of it is to break your limbs. Like, you obviously tap out in class so you sure. never get broken. But, right. but I've had, you know, 
three knee surgeries, my nose fixed, my back got fucked up. I mean, you get a lot of like weird, crazy injuries from jujitsu. So I started lifting a lot of weights. Just as, as like body armor? <laughs> yeah, a lot of ways just to, to make you more effective in jujitsu and to protect you. Because, you know, if you're thin and you don't have like a lot of muscle, like for kickboxing, it was, it was all just about speed and movement. And mm-hmm. like the more, if you put a lot of muscle on it, it actually wouldn't help you that much. So when I was training in that, it didn't really make me much bigger. You know, I did mostly did like body weight exercise. I did like a little bit of weights every now and then, but then I got really into it. Like right around the top, but I got into jujitsu. Yeah. And, uh, did that change? Do you still, do you still fight? No, well, I still train, you know, but I mean, I don't fight. I don't like. You don't ever want to. You don't ever. No. You don't ever want to be in a fight. I was gonna fight Wesley Snipes because they ordered me. They offered um, me uh, some should. ridiculous amount of money to fight Wesley Snipes. Yeah, Wesley Snipes had all these tax problems. Right. Yeah, and, and so, so that was gonna help him out of the tax problems. Um. No. Uh, I mean, <laughs> maybe more tax problems. Or was going to give him some money. Oh, they were going to make him fight. No, and then go it was his like, idea. Oh, I think he probably was indulging in some. Um, uh, what's the best way to describe it? Some things that would affect your judgment. Sure. I understand. Some sure. some possible sure. stimulants from I mean, South who America. Knows? Could be anything. Yeah. yeah some, a lot of coffee. Could be too some, much coffee. Makes you very sniffly. Toxo. Could be that yeah. bean that goes through the road and shit. And that's the most expensive copy in the world. So that that was that was a long. That was like six or seven years ago before they locked him up. And uh, I got a call from one of the guys who was the original producer of the Ultimate Fighting Championship. He goes, okay. I've got a crazy offer for you. And then he came to me with this Wesley Snipes thing, but it was just some stupid amount of money. And I was like, and then I looked up and he had never done any jujitsu before. He didn't have any experience uh-huh. in jujitsu. I was like, I'm going to strangle this guy. Like, yeah. this, I mean, I guess he just, maybe he's hoping that that won't happen. But <laughs> I, know, I was like, if I get a hold of him, I'm going to fucking Was there a point where him. you said, yes, I'll do that? I said right away. Yeah. I said, yeah. 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 I mean, and then why did it never happen? He changed his mind. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think. He didn't think he'd say yes. Well, he said, I said yes, and then he changed the, like, it was going to be like a 50 50 split of the money. And then he wanted more than me, and I said, fine. I go, look, just give me this amount, and we're good. I don't give a fuck what you give him. Mm-hmm. Just let's do this. And then, like, it went back and forth, lawyers involved, contract negotiations, the whole deal. It went back and forth for, I hired uh, this guy, Rob Kamen, who's like a famous world championship kickboxer to train me, and I was working out with him every day, and I was doing jujitsu at night. It was brutal. It was really hard i was always tired i went through it for like four months i got an incredible shape but i was preparing for this and then finally he just backed out of it completely oh and then he went to jail yeah well, yeah so he was he was involved in a strange movement apparently where you know he got wrapped up with some guy who had him convinced that taxes were unconstitutional <laughs> that you you know because if I you never heard to you that happens well, yeah, More it does, man. Yeah. Well, the the rub is here's what the rub is. The, the the supposedly when income tax, when federal income tax came into play, it was supposed to be only be in the time of war, like, and then once war was done, we were supposed to go back to not paying federal income tax the way you know mm-hmm. we have to today, and. So apparently it's written that way somewhere, and they were arguing that taxes were unconstitutional, and they just said, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> You're going to jail, dummy. And, they, and it wasn't even a matter of paying. They wouldn't even just let them pay, which is really fascinating about taxes, because taxes is the only – like if you owed 
a million dollars in credit card debt. Yeah. You would have to pay that. Yeah. And, you know, you, they would say, okay, here's the p- payment plan. You got to pay us X amount a week, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, you pay it. But taxes, if you try to cheat them on taxes, they make an example out of you. And it's some really creepy thug shit. You know, it's some really creepy, like, in a ways, it's kind of some mob shit. They're like, look, it doesn't matter if you pay us. You're going to pay us. But we're also going to lock you in a cage. So well, we let other people. Are you left-handed or right-handed? Known, other famous people are going to know. Uh, there was a friend of my family's who, uh, and it was an older person. One year, she just came into some money and just didn't. Didn't pay the taxes the way she was supposed to. Oh. Totally her fault, but she just didn't know any better. Right, and um, so they, so they, they came after her. Like you know, so she, so it was like when the tax bill came, she was just not, you know, unfortunately, she was just not great with money, and so when the tax, the tax bill, she couldn't pay it. And so it was just like years and years, like had paid back the original amount. Years before, but was basically just paying all the interest because she couldn't pay it off all at once. Oh and it was just like all this interest just tacking on and tacking on and tacking on and tacking on. I was like, yeah, that's some fucked up mob shit. Like it some is. real fucked up mob shit. They put Lauren Hill in jail. Yeah. Lauren Hill from the Fugees. What? Yes. Yeah. She was in jail I for like a year. She was year, in actual jail. Right? Yeah, Wasn't she, she was in jail, jail for yeah, a year? Yeah. How does that make you pay your taxes faster? It doesn't. It's like debtor's prison. That's it, the beauty of it. They don't want you to have to pay your taxes faster. They just want everyone else to know that yeah. if you do this, we will throw you in jail. Yeah. We're going to take someone who's completely safe, nonviolent, and we're going to pretend they're fucking dangerous. So we're going to lock them in a cage. Lauren Hill, beautiful voice. Yeah. Beautiful <laughs> you know, voice. Amazing artist. Maybe, that like, was, yeah, maybe the problem was that was the only defense. Beautiful uh, voice, guys. Your Honor, huh? she has a beautiful voice. Sing the, uh, <laughs> who's this lawyer character? Who's I listen, I, uh, pro bono, no one would take uh, her, so I bought Lauren, sing, come on, one time, one time. That's the other thing. I mean, think about how much money she must have. She probably could have easily paid it off. I'm I mean, sure. she's not broke. Yeah. You know, like, I think Wesley Snipes went broke. I mean, he, he lost all his money. He got a bad reputation after... I mean, Patton Oswalt has famously done that whole bit about him in Blade. Yeah, Blade, Blade 3. three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Patton worked on Blade 3. So he has this whole bit about doing Blade 3 with the new cool Blade guy who is replacing Wesley Snipes because Wesley Snipes is on coke and freaked out. and So he has this whole like routine about how crazy Wesley Snipes was. I mean, it was pretty clearly established. And so he, went, he lost all his money. He went through all of his money. He didn't have any money to pay them. And then on top of that, they just locked him in fucking jail. Oh my god! Now, uh, are you is your is your fight philosophy? Because I've 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 worked with just like physical trainers before. Who I've had pretty much the same guy training for like nine years. And he's great, Tom Dieters. Yes, look him up on the internet. Well. And um, for a while, boxing was part of the regimen, which was which was really fun. And and he was a kickboxer, but he was always very much like uh, you know. You never want to be in a fight. It's the last resort. Don't like if you don't have to. Like don't get in a fight. Tom you was know? a national taekwondo champion. Oh, I didn't realize yeah. that. Tom will fuck you up if he wants. <laughs> yeah, so that's, what, that's what good it, advice. What is your philosophy? That's like, the best advice. Because you obviously 
you could mess most people up in the world, but would you still would your choice be if someone's squaring off there to be like, you know what, dude? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, get away from it. Don't you know? Don't fight with dogs either. Don't yeah. get in a fight with a chimp. <laughs> don't let a giraffe kick you. No, but don't, I really don't think, a... Your Honor, I could take this chimp if you let me take this chimp, Your Honor. Don't ever get in a situation where it's, you might get hurt. If you could somehow or another get out of it, I mean, why wouldn't you get out of it? Because your ego, right? Because you want to say like, fuck this guy. I'll show this guy what I can do to him. Then no, don't do that. Because first of all, if you kick someone's ass, it's never the end of it. People don't like their asses kicked, mm-hmm. so they will come back and they'll fucking stab you or shoot you or hit you when you're not looking. Or like you, you could really injure someone. Yes, and then that's a whole other set of problems. I have a friend who was a bouncer in a bar in Long Island, and the guy that he worked with got in a bar fight with this guy. At the, as he was working as a bouncer, hit the guy. The guy got knocked out, fell back, and hit his head and died. Oh. And the guy wound up going to jail, and it haunted him for the rest of his life. I mean, he was responsible for some drunk guy who could easily have probably been one of his friends or something if yeah. the circumstances were different. And now this guy's dead because he made a poor choice, and he got drunk at a bar, and the guy made a poor choice and hit him, and, you know, it's a big giant disaster so yeah my philosophy is don't fight anybody <laughs> fortunately yeah. i've had that ingrained with on me my entire life because i was never able to do that chris doesn't have a fight philosophy so much as a flight philosophy yeah, it's a, a, flight, good, a, flight, a flight philosophy it's a good thing to have <laughs> that is only first class window please yes windows, <laughs> window seats. yes to the mimosa <laughs> <laughs> well i always you know for me when when i when i was, I was very small when, in grade school it wasn't until high school that i even sprouted past five feet that you know, for me, it was, and I'm sure a lot of com- a lot of comics probably have the same thing. Was is just talking my way out of things, yeah, because I couldn't, I didn't have any other tool set right. at my disposal. So it was always like trying to reason with people and or make jokes or get out of, you know, yeah. It was never the no fuck you like that was never my. Uh, I was not a, much of it. I was very socially awkward when I was young. I was not much of a talker. I I didn't even think about comedy until. Deep into my martial arts competition days, I was uh, I was a U.S. Open Taekwondo champion. I won the Massachusetts State Championship like four years in a row. And the only reason why I got into comedy is because I made people in the locker room laugh. That's I made Kenny Youngman's origin laugh. story too. <laughs> Some of the cat skills just but beating people. I wasn't funny in high school. I mean, I had like a couple funny things Where'd that happened. Newton South, Newton All Massachusetts. Right. Newton kid. Whatever. Yeah, I wasn't funny at all. I mean, uh, I would do funny cartoons. I was uh, in. I wanted to be a comic book illustrator, so I would draw like a lot of like I would draw like my teacher was like super into Jane Goodall, so I'd do my my teacher having sex with this kid who was always kissing her ass, and she was screaming out "Do me monkey style" like Jane, <laughs> like Jane would have. Like I would always draw like cartoons involving the teacher. Like there was a guy named Mister White. He was like five foot two. So I, every time I drew him, I drew him standing on a box or standing on. <laughs> A chair like everything he did it was standing on top of something like it was like this little inside joke between me and all my friends and everybody thought it was funny like that's how i got my funny out i would draw like cartoons but like verbally i was super nervous like i couldn't i wasn't good at talking like i would like go to a uh, like a bank teller if i had a, like i was like scared oh, wow. like i was gonna get up in the front of the line i was like oh i don't have to talk soon <laughs> Here we go. I'm gonna have to talk soon. Oh shit! Which is bizarre that I'm wound up making a living talking. Yeah. I mean, obviously I and got over it. And you speak quite well too. So I got it's over not, it. It's not just that you 
can talk to people. Like, but you, he's still fucking terrified of banks. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna talk to each other. I'm so glad I have ATMs are here. I like to deposit. Yeah, this is a robbery. Oh God, I did it again. I didn't mean to do ATMs saved my life. The fact that I don't have to go to the line and and get to the front and talk to somebody. But so I was not like a good talker. I was not like a smooth or eloquent or and I didn't talk my way out of situations. I was uh, I was competing all throughout high school. I was fighting like from the time I was like 15 on. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's all I did. I barely paid attention in high school. Well, so then what made you think, oh, I can just, I could go be an actor. I could go be a comic. I never thought I could be an actor. That's totally accidental. That happened. I got a development deal when I was on MTV. Um, I owe everything, like like literally everything, to two friends. That are, One of them is still one of my best friends. Uh, Steve Graham, who was uh, an ophthalmologist at the time, and um, he's still a doctor in Arizona, and uh, we would train together, and I was like a teenager, and he was a grown man. He's uh, about 15 years older than me, and um, he... He was the one who like kind of just grabbed me by my shoulders, said, "You're really funny. Like you could be a comedian. Like you, you, like I would do impressions of like my instructor having sex with people and like his, you know using his accent and I'd do impressions of different people that we knew. But I was just trying to make everybody laugh. I you know I wanted attention and I would make them laugh because I was comfortable talking to them because they were my friends. But I didn't think that I would ever be like I never had aspirations to go on stage. I was always a huge fan of stand up yeah. comedy, but it was. It wasn't even on the list of potential career choices. I had no aspirations. And then my friend Steve like literally told me, you should be a comedian. So where'd you start? In Boston or? Boston. Yeah. Stitches, open mic night. Wow. August 27th, 1988. Oh, there was still a pretty, I mean. The, the, well, that was still, a like, catch was still open. Right. It yeah. was, uh, that, was, that was a good time yeah. for, for comedy. As good Boston. as it gets. There was a, a, I literally came in the door right at the right moment. And when I was leaving Boston, which was like 90, 90 91-ish, yeah. when I was leaving, it was all falling apart. Like, I, I came in, I rode the so last right wave. Right on the edge of, like, Cross and... Mm-hmm. Uh, they were there John a little Ennis bit before and, me. Louis was there. Yeah. Marin was there. Those guys were already, like, established. Yeah. Nick DiPaolo, mm-hmm. Anthony Clark... They were all established, and I rode the wave. And then Burr came behind me, and Patrice came behind me. They were like right after me, but I, I got out right when it was ending. Right when, and now Boston is just like it's a shell of what it used to oh, be. Oh God, I know. I was, you know, I was there, and when I was in college, it was like 2001, and there's like there was nothing. It's and crazy. Then the Comedy Connection closed, and then yes. I was like, well, what the fuck? And now it's just a theater. Yeah, the now Wilbur, you go to the Wilbur. The Wilbur. Yeah. Wilbur's great though. It's, it's a great play, but yeah. done it. we love it. We'll no open mic nights. Yeah. There's nowhere to. When I was there, there was five comedy clubs on one block. Oh my mm. god! And then there was another one down the street. There was Dick Darty's Comedy Vault, which was down the street, and then there was Nick's Comedy Stop, and then down the street was the original Comedy Connection, which was a small room, like maybe. You could shove 150 people in there, but I mean, you were really packing it in. Then above it was the comedy club at the Charles Playhouse, and then across the street was Duck Soup. And then they were oh, doing something. Wow, you remember yeah. Duck, Soup? Duck Soup? And then they were doing something above Duck Soup. And what Duck Soup was was the guys who owned the Comedy Connection. They had this play to make a really super high end comedy club. So they spent a shitload of money, and then. As they were spending this money, the scene just started dying. It just like started falling out. And it was almost an oversaturation issue because there was evening at the improv and Caroline's comedy hour and there was just so much fucking comedy yeah, on Yeah, by ninety two comedy was like had been imploded. They just the bubble 
Super. They just went crazy. And yeah. it, a lot of guys figured out how to talk like a comedian. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't necessarily comedy. I'm looking at my dog, and I'm like, you tell me. <laughs> and there, there, there was this thing. Like, yes. I mean, I remember the first time I went on stage, I, I dressed like a comedian. I, I had a blazer on. I never worn a blazer in my life. I rolled my sleeves up. I had, like, a oh, wacky T-shirt on, right. and I had, like, a funny pin or something like that. Like a, the uniform. You know, the yeah, the comedian. uniform. And then sneakers with jeans, you know, and I was trying to wow. look like what I saw yeah. on Evening at the Improv and, you know, trying to talk like those guys. And that's what a lot of people did. And some people, they made like a career doing Wayne Cotter. They made like a career <laughs> doing that for like a long time. It, they did that sort of comedy. Wow. It almost never works, by the way, no. when someone makes the super nice comedy club because there's something about right. a comedy club that should be a little bit dirty like yes. a little gritty and a little this is subversive we shouldn't be here like something that makes it but whenever they do whenever they yeah. start making like nice dinner theater where, yeah, they, lo- where like, they, they logically go yes you know what comedy needs nice seats really good food like a night it just n- almost never works, especially in Boston. Yeah. In Boston, <laughs> have a you been to the new club there? Town. Laugh Boston. No, have I, haven't I haven't yet either. I wonder. How I heard that the is. sound system sucks. That's well, what I keep hearing. You know what? I heard it's fun. Get the sound system. Together, go back guys. and do yeah. it. Go they get they get mad when you talk I, about the you sound know, system. If you go out, the, the problem with <laughs> Laugh Boston is that it's like out. It's like out in like south, like over by where the like floating hospital is. It's like out over there. Uh, so it's like there's no foot traffic. You're uh, gonna just be playing to people in the hotel. Oh, gotcha. Uh, well, Katie, what time is this at? Like the theater district. <laughs> the theater district. Like Nick's Comedy Stop is still there, right? Sort of. Still there. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. They yep. still book yep. it on the weekends yep. and everything? Yep, you're absolutely correct. They used to do three shows simultaneously. They would have guys, they would do the upstairs room, and then they would have a downstairs room, and then they had a dance club that they had converted to a comedy club. So they had like a small room downstairs, and they had the big room upstairs, and then they had this dance club. This fucking high ceilings. It was a terrible room, but they, they, was just, they couldn't get enough people in there. It's like that's what people wanted to do on the weekends. They wanted to go to the comedy club. And they played uh, against Sam's. Is the I, no? I don't know if anyone can answer this, but is the place is the Kowloon on Route One? Does oh, that still, still have there. the comedy club in it? I think it does because I saw someone, someone it, who's a friend of mine from Boston, had a tweet about going to the Kowloon. So I'm pretty sure the Kowloon. Because <laughs> when I was a kid, I used to remember like seeing like Gilbert coming through there, Saget would come through there. What about Giggles and Saugus on Route One? Is that still there as oh, well? That can't still be there. That's Mike Clark's room. Lenny Clark's brother. I don't know. That guy. Google it. Yeah. <laughs> Find yeah, find out. Saugus Giggles in Saugus on Route 1. <laughs> that, by the way, it's a little sounds past like... the Square One Mall. <laughs> if you were making fun of it, you're like, yes. hey, this guy's going to be at Giggles in Saugus yeah. over here. Like, it's a great it's gig. Saugus. That was a great gig. I mean, I got to see everybody perform at that Listen, gig. Laugh Boston, if you want to have me out, I'll come by. Oh, well, you system. threw it out there. <laughs> threw it out there. You threw it out promote there. Promote it on the podcast. As long as you can, long as you can promote... Oh, I'm sure you'll get, you can thrilled. get booked at pretty much any comedy club. Yeah. If you're like, hey, if you can promote it, uh-huh. great. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, right? Yeah. yeah. I would imagine you're doing theaters mainly now. I right? do, but you know what? I did my last comedy special in uh, a club. Still there? It's still there. Giggles and Saugus. Wow. Nice. I did my last comedy special at the Denver Comedy Works. And the, do- uh, the downstairs one? Yeah, Downtown, yeah, Lambert Square? Yeah. Fucking great club. Yeah, it's the it's best. one of the best. And because of that, I did like a whole series of clubs leading up to that. And I liked it so much. Like, even though I make more money doing theaters, 
I mean, I'm doing a few theaters. Like, I got, like, the Celebrity Theater next month in uh, Phoenix. Mm -hmm. That's that crazy theater in the round where Louis did his last HBO special. I'm doing that. Go see Joe do an all-new hour. Yeah. (laughs) Luckily, I've been writing, so fucking still (laughs) terrified. But, but, like, this weekend I'm doing uh, the improv in Ontario. I I, I still do. I still do clubs. Uh, Are you... How much into this new set are you at this point? Um, well, I have a lot of extra material that I didn't put on the special that I can oh, always it, fall back it. on. That's I great. always keep like what I call like pillars, mm-hmm. and then you know, and then I'll build walls and put stuff around it. But I'm always there's always pillars that I could if I'm in a fucking panic, <laughs> I can fall back on those. But it's really all about like I, the way I feel about premises is that premises are kind of like scaffolding, you know, and then. Once you have the scaffolding, then you just sort of like figure out a way to make it funny mm-hmm. and add all this to it, and, and you know eventually lay a carpet down and have it nice and finished. But like, I, there's a, a friend who's a good comic who was is a fairly new guy, and he was doing this bit, and I was like, listen, man, I, that's a really funny bit, but it's a tired premise. Like, too many people have done that. Almost, you you've got your own jokes. I go, you've got to think of the creativity that you're putting into this premise. It's like the premise is scaffolding. All the stuff that you're putting around it is what's unique. Just figure out a way to do a completely unusual or unique premise and not have – it was just too tired. I'd seen too many guys do the same bit. I mean even though his was his, it was just essentially – not parallel thinking as much as like an obvious premise, right? But I was like, there's cer- a certain point in time you got to realize that what the subject matter is is essentially the scaffolding, and then all the other stuff that goes around it is, you know, that's where all the work goes in. Don't put any work into a shitty building, you know. <laughs> that's like, really it's, interesting. It's not worth it. Yeah, but if you're a new comic, if you're a newer comic, you may not. I mean, it's helpful. Yeah. It's helpful to have someone go, "Hey, do this." Yes. You know, like yes. uh, unfortunately, well, fortunately, the way that you normally learn that, and the reason why it takes so long for to develop as a stand-up is because you just got to do it so much, and then yeah. you start realizing, like, oh, that's something. Mm-hmm. Oh, like a lot of that, a lot of those lessons yeah. you learn on your own. And so the guy was very lucky to have you step in and give him an alternative point of view for all the other, all the other. Yeah, things. and and you know, and I did it in a way where I was like. I just want to let him know that he's like he's really good. I'm like you're a really good comic. Like you don't want to like ruin really good with mm-hmm. something that's mediocre. Like to fa- fall into that trap of like it will work. Like yeah, if you go up and then I'll get a big laugh. But would you laugh at it? And would you laugh at it when you're doing comedy for ten years? Right. If not, you probably shouldn't do it because you're capable of more and you don't need to do it. It's not like you're headlining every weekend to the same crowd. They need to see new material. Like you can come up with better shit. You know. So how do you see that? Because I, I see I see great parallels between the development of a stand up set and then also the voice of like a podcast. Because mm-hmm. a podcast definitely has a I mean like you it has a point of view that begins to take on a life of its own and it does develop over time. So how do you how do you see where you've come in five years with the podcast? You know, from starting on UStream to now, like what what have you taken away from that, or how do you think it's grown? Well, you. I think conversation is as much of an art form as um, it's not as technical as like music or stand up, but the way you talk and the way you come off to other people and the, the awareness that you have and how to 
manage a conversation and being a conversationalist, there's an art to it. And you get better at it the more you do it. And if you do it a lot, you understand. Also, if you listen to other people that suck at it, that helps too. Like people that are like interrupting everybody and jamming their own shit down. Like some people can't let other people talk. They just can't. And when you see that, you go, ooh, that's kind of gross. And like just seeing someone who like stumbles over. And it's not like talking over. Like there's always going to be like people where there's like runoff. Everybody runs off onto each other. And it's totally normal and sounds cool. But there's some people that – I think I read a quote once. It was like the wrong way to have a conversation is to think when is it my turn. Right. You know, And there are some people that are like, are you even listening to me? Like right. you're not even listening to me. You're just waiting for your turn. You know, and that's, that's not, you know, that's not fun to listen to. And so you get better at that. But it takes time to really, because I think, you know, we used to get shit at the beginning of our podcast for interrupting people because everyone just got super excited. Yeah. And it, it really took, it took a really long time to get comfortable and to get better at it and to understand where the air is. And, and beyond that, I have to say that the podcast, like, uh, I've found I've been able to apply some of the tool sets like on a date. Like I'm better on a date than I was years ago. Oh, yeah. Because I feel I I sort of have this weird skill set now where I can just sit down and actually talk to someone about themselves. Which is uh, rare. Yeah. Right? Yeah, but but to that point of like, I think when you're first starting the podcast, you're always worried about air. Yeah. You're always worried about a second of silence. Right. And then what I realized, like, not, you know, a couple years ago was just like listening to things I love, like uh, Stern or uh, BS Report being one of my favorite podcasts. Like, there's just, there's moments where there's air, but you never think about the air Mm -hmm. because you feel like you're there listening to the conversation. So the air is like, whenever you're listening to new podcasts, they will not let there be a second of fucking silence. Right. It's just boom, boom, yeah. boom. <laughs> Regardless of whatever you're saying. If it's pointless, they're going to say something. Well, it was us for the first two years. Yeah. <laughs> it, it really is something you get better at. And I didn't, didn't think it was going to be. I thought you either were interesting and you could talk or you weren't. And that's just it. You know, you're a fully developed human being. You're an adult. Either you suck at this or you, it's going to work. But no, you, you really do get better at it. And you just, you know, it's like anything else. It becomes a skill. Has anyone hit the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours of podcasting yet? <laughs> I no, wonder. I don't even think. I mean, <clears throat> that would be a pretty be amazing. A pretty lengthy feat. Because we've. So we're about to hit episode 600. Right. And that's. But, but know, this one will be past 600, I think. You'll be 600. You're episode 600. Logan, you're episode 600. That's very special. So 600 episodes, which really, you know, when you, I mean, there's some are an hour and a there, half, variables. some are 40 minutes. So, so let's say it's roughly, but it's roughly like an hour, 15 minutes. So let's say it's roughly 800, 900 hours yeah. of podcasting, which I think is a, 800 hours of yeah. podcasting. One tenth of the way there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so 10,000 hours. I'm not sure if I buy that anyway. That Malcolm oh, that Gladwell whole, yeah, thing. That yeah. whole. I think intensity and focus are sometimes as important, if not more, than the amount of time you put in. Just yeah, but I think time. like even I say, if someone's doing something for five thousand hours, you're probably pretty good at. It. They're pretty probably. good, you know. A thousand hours <laughs> is also a lot of hours. Yeah, sure. it's, if you practice the guitar for a thousand hours, oh my god, you'd be really fucking good. Fuck yeah, at Ugh, the guitar. I wish I had a thousand hours. But if you think about how much time, like how long have you been doing stand up? Since 98. 
Think about that. Think about all those years of doing stand-up, all those sets, two, <laughs> two on a Friday, sometimes three on Saturday, one on Sunday. If they rope you into working Wednesday and Thursday, you're there too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't. You know, back then, I was just doing open mics. I mean, it, it, took, it took quite a few years before I was able to have enough to go on the road. And when I did go on the road, I realized that everything I learned about comedy in Los Angeles did not work on the road. Oh. And so, and so were you I, doing alternative rooms? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why my style now is mostly is like, I have a set, but it changes because I'll, I talk to the audience, like 40% of what I do is just talking to people on stage, which is something that developed because I did not have enough material when I started headlining. Uh. And so all the, literally the only thing I could do to fill the time was just to talk to people in the audience. Uh. So that was a survival mechanism <laughs> that ended up becoming like part of what I do. It's kind of funny. That's interesting. Well, you started doing comedy when you were already famous. That's brave. <laughs> but I had no. He's not wrong. I had no issue yeah. with like just. I mean, like I realized I was enough of a comedy fan to know, and I had bombed a few times in front of bigger rooms where I was like, it doesn't matter that I was on television. I need to start from scratch, yeah. and so I just. I mean, I guess in a way it was kind of funny because I'd been on television for every day for like four years, but then I would just turn up to an open mic and sign up just like, every, smart. like everybody else. And I, because I just wanted to learn how to do it before I did not have an ego about like, well, I should be doing, but I was like, no, I'm not good enough. I need to learn how to do this. Well, I was there for Michael Richards when he first oh, started around? doing stand-up again. I wasn't there oh, for the, fam- the infamous, oh, okay. infamous <laughs> Laugh Factory night, but I was there when he first started doing stand-up after Seinfeld, and it was fucking really weird because he would come into the comedy store and everybody would be so happy to see him. For a minute. Yes. <laughs> for a, maybe, maybe even two minutes. Wow. You know, and he'd do like a couple of pratfalls and who are you? Where, where did I get here? And everybody like, he's Kramer. He's amazing. This is going to be the best show this we've the- ever seen. And then, you know, you have a 15 minute set and somewhere in, you know, minute five or six, they realize this is never getting any better than this. Wow. Like what he's doing on stage is like, this is, we're going to have to sit through another nine minutes of this horse shit. And he was awful. Which is even worse because... Way worse. Because if they didn't know who he was, then they would maybe be a little more forgiving. But they come, but he comes in and it's like, that guy! Yes. And I think I, I, I think the janitor from UHF! <laughs> <laughs> Stanley Spadowski? <laughs> yes. um, but uh, I think it's sort of that Chris Rock thing of, you know, it's like, they don't give you... They almost dock more points off of you if you're not funny because yes. they're like... This is supposed to be what yes. the expectations are so high. Yes. Well, Charlie Murphy's another guy who got famous first and then started doing stand-up. Right. And he was headlining like a year hey. into his stand-up comedy career. Couldn't believe when it. When we went on the road together, he had done stand-up for fucking maybe three years. And it was me and him and John Heffron. We did this Bud Light comedy tour. We did like 22 dates. And he and I alternated between who closed the show. Wow. Three years in. Oh, wow. Yeah. In front of thousands of people. You know, giant places, like 2,000 That's maybe too people. soon to be headlining for yeah. thousands of <laughs> But he's got fucking balls. I mean, and he did not want to switch the position. Like, he wanted to do the same thing. Just will alter every time. You know, I'll headline one. He'll headline the next one. Wow. Like, okay. Wow. Yeah, but he, he took his lumps and went up there like a man just did it. Those are serious lumps. Although, you oh. know what I find is that... Um, 
Because I did the I did the oddball tour, and the biggest crowd was like twenty two thousand people. God, and I so crazy. And I had no. It's funny. I don't really get nervous for big numbers, but I get nervous if I'm going into a room and there's like fifty people. You know what I mean? Like there's something because there's because it's so much more intimate, Mm -hmm. and you feel and I feel so much more responsible, and you can you can see everyone, and then it feel if you you just I just feel more accountable in a much smaller group than thousands of people. Yeah, no, that's totally understandable. I think that the small rooms are super important for cutting the fat out of your material. Yes. Because you could get away with like what Tommy Segura calls dance moves. <laughs> <laughs> Tom that's the you know, Tom Segura calls, you know, like when you're like jazzing up something in front of a big crowd, like you can get away with a lot of bullshit, but if there's only like two people in the room, that bullshit just doesn't fly. Mm-hmm. Right. And you feel like what's fake about your act like it's like those late night sets at the store especially like are really important for that and even if the improv the improv as well like something about also if it's in hollywood like my god they've seen fucking everybody everybody's here mm-hmm. they're here all the time like and any given night you'll see a hundred famous comedians you know floating throughout the clubs in the city you know, so because of that, the audience is like super used to that. Mm-hmm. They're used to like a high level of comedy, and so like you you got to cut all. And if especially it's like late night, you go up after they've seen like seven comedians. You know, the show's an hour and ninety minutes old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's two and a half hours, Jeff. I know what it is. <laughs> it's a joke. The idea of doing stand up in a big crowded room is like this contagious laughter. It's very you know, it catches on and everybody gets into it and you feel the energy from the room. But when there's no energy in the room, it's just a few people. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Chris Hardwick. Hey guys. So, uh, this is going to sound crazy, you know, yeah. and then you feel that weirdness, like with the, the silence in between the bits and the, the, the lack of noise in the room. And it just really makes you aware of how much of your act is horseshit. <laughs> you know, I love dance moves. Dance That's moves. Yeah. But if I, if I, if I get up, and, if I were to get up and there were just like four people in the audience, I would probably just sit down at their table and just talk to them. That's not bad. As opposed to... Because I feel weird. I feel weird not acknowledging whatever the current environment is that the situation is. Yeah. Like, I'm not one of those guys where it's like, it doesn't matter if there's four people in there. You get up there and you do your act the way if there were 40,000 people. Do your I'm, routine. Then you're, yeah. Because I just feel like, hey, they know the deal. I know the deal. Why don't I just be honest about it and go like, hey, this is strange. Let's all just talk to each other instead of me right. pretending that you know, you're more people than you are. Well, but then maybe they would get annoyed because, like, hey, we came to see some fucking comedy. We didn't come to have a conversation with you, dude. Yeah, but it's your fault that more people didn't show up. (laughs) (laughs) I did uh, Dangerfields in New York City once. And Dangerfields, there was a guy named Bobby that used to work the door at Dangerfields. He was this big Scottish guy. He was, like, a big character. He's probably funnier than any of the comedians that worked there, including me. And uh, um, he... uh, I showed up there. I think I had like maybe like a nine o'clock spot and I showed up there like eight forty five, and all the comics were like hanging out by the bar and I was like, what's going on? How's the show? And they're like, there's no one in there. I go, no one. Like the show probably started at eight. I go, no one's in there. Like no one's in there. I'm like, whoa. And right when I said that, 
two people walked up. They bought tickets, and Bobby said, "Come right here, right this way." He brought him into the room, and he goes, "Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your host." And these two people sat down. And they're like, "Oh no!" <laughs> he they, wouldn't. He didn't give like, them time to get up and no, leave. No, <laughs> he just sat them down and introduced the host. And the host went up, and um, at Dangerfields, you do like a half an hour. So there was like two guys before me. They did a half an hour. And uh, or it was like the host maybe did fifteen minutes, and a guy did a half an hour, and then I did a half an hour in front of two people. Wow! And they never left. They sat there through the whole Good show. For them, yeah. that is just a severe guilt complex they had. They were like, "I want to leave." It was a little bit of that, but they were smiling and laughing. They had some drinks, and you know, it was decent comics. You know, yeah. so have you ever been to Dangerfields? No. It's uh, where Roddy Dangerfield had that HBO special. The Young Comedian special. Yeah, so Kinnison, Dice Clay. And that it, was the ninth annual Young Comedian. He, yeah, that was the ninth, the ninth annual Young Comedian special. Ninth annual? Was ninth, it really? The ninth one was Kinnison, Saget, Louis Anderson, Rita Rudner. Um, what's a guy named Bob Nelson who was great. Yeah. Uh, I, Dice Jiffy Jeff's Jim. Dice wasn't on that. Yeah, yeah, Jeff's Jim. He didn't do... I don't think he did the Jeff's Jim bit on that one. He did the football players. Yeah. He was like, number yeah, 72. Yeah. Oh, shit, 27. Yeah. You know, he did that guy. Um, I, the Dice was later because the ninth annual Dangerfield special was in like 84, maybe? But Dice, Hicks. When was Kinnison? Kinnison was, Kinnison was the ninth that, annual. And Saget was on that one, too. Oh. Uh, it was like 84, maybe? The ninth annual Young Rodney Dangerfield's Young Young Comedians was HBO Young Comedian special, and I think that was the ninth an, the ninth annual one. And at that point, it might have been like eighty four. Yeah, Yakov Smirnoff. Yakov Smirnoff. Branson's own Yakov Smirnoff. Yeah, yeah. Regis Philbin did a Regis cameo. Regis Philbin. You didn't perform. He just did a cameo in it. He's a cameo. Yeah, he basically he introduced he introduced Rodney at the top of the show. I watched the shit out of that tape. My parents let me watch whatever, comedy wise, because they just they fed that, and so I had the ninth annual comedian tape, and I watched that fucking special over and over. They and over must and over be and over so again. psyched that you're a comic. Like if they just fed that, that's ca- yeah. They always kind of knew. They always kind of knew. And you know, my my parents were cool. They were like, "Hey, man, do do what makes you happy." You know, uh, they weren't like hippy dippy parents. Like you know, just feel your way. Like they were like, "If this is what you want to do, you should do it because it makes you happy." And so they gave me all the every Steve Martin record, everything. Wow. Yeah, I was very lucky. That's cool. They fostered that early on. That's but we're here to talk cool. about your comedy special, which is Friday, November 21st. Yeah, this, uh, this Friday. What's it called and what time is it on? It's called Rocky Mountain High. It's on uh, Friday night at midnight. I did it in Denver for a bunch of reasons. One, because uh, Denver, the club, that club, uh, Wendy, who owns a club, is uh, Wendy Curtis, who's like one of the nicest people yeah, very, ever very in sweet. stand-up. She's responsible for the entire scene in Denver. It's, it rests on her shoulders. It truly rests on her shoulders. If it wasn't for her, there would be no scene in Denver. I mean, she fosters this open mic program there. She allows people to come up through the ranks and become middle acts and then eventually become headliners. It's one of the few places in the country where she'll develop like homegrown headliners. Mm-hmm. And she's so good. To, to comics when they come there from the road. She's so nice, and she's just... And I always loved working there, and I haven't worked there in years. I've been doing theaters in Denver for years, but I decided, like, I just want to do that club. 
And I want to do it like right after marijuana became legal. Mm -hmm. I was like, that's it. I'm going to Denver. Like I was just, I I had like a short list. The other idea was like do it in Alaska. I was going to do one in Alaska in Anchorage because I think those people are fucking gangster as shit. (laughs) Living out in the middle of fucking nowhere. Barely a part of America. You know, like (laughs) living in a place where it doesn't get dark in the summer and it doesn't get light in the winter. And they just, they're crazy. And they're fun as shit. I don't know if you ever performed in Anchorage. Have you ever been up there? No, I haven't performed there. Fucking love it. Okay, okay. Love it. I love the people up there. They have this amazing sense of community because they might get stomped to death by a moose. Right. You know, like, <laughs> they have to, you have to like, stay alive. You have to like, you <laughs> know, worry about bears and shit. You know I mean? You're, you're literally in the wilderness. You are actually in the wilderness and you have a city that is just like this goofy little spot surrounded by like the most wild country <laughs> known to man, and elements and yeah. everything else, it's everything. It is bears so- that are fourteen feet tall when they stand on their hind legs. Yeah, what the fuck, man? I mean, like everything about it is amazing. It's beautiful up there, and the people are so friendly and super progressive. Like that's one of the things that I found was amazing when I was up there. There was like this uh, honk for marriage equality thing that these people had on this corner and they had like, you know, the rainbow flags and shit and everybody was going by honking at them and waving and everything. I was like, whoa, Alaska is wild. It's like so different than what you would think it was. So you chose Denver. Yeah. Like marijuana just become legal and it's a great city and, and went I love great. it there. I love Colorado. I, I think it's, I, I, I have an affinity to my mountains and to natural beauty and i think that that's something that people really take for granted in a sense of like people appreciate artwork like you pay a lot of money to buy a painting and people love to go to museums and galleries but all that is nonsense in comparison to like driving up like left-hand canyon road up into boulder and you're, you're driving into the mountains and as you're driving up there you're like holy shit look at that snow-capped mountains and the trees and like slow down there's a fox there's a fox in the road and like some fox runs across the road and you're like what the fuck it's so like exhilarating and i think one of the reasons why people in Denver and Boulder and that, that whole area are so cool is because they're confronted by just, just this inescapable power of nature because it's so massive. The mountain is so huge and so gorgeous. It's like it chills you out because, like, you ain't shit. Like, you, you, you take yourself seriously. It's one of the reasons why beach towns are so cool. Like, you're, you're right next to a massive body of water <laughs> that's just letting you know. Just chill out. Just chill the fuck out, yeah, dude. Yeah. Relax. There Stop. are bigger things than you. Yeah, don't take it seriously. <laughs> just look right there. Look at that. And I think that um, I was drawn uh, to Colorado in a lot of ways because of that. And that's why I moved there for a short period of time. But it's um, there's something about that area that I find like, incredibly compelling. Well, not surprisingly, you were a fantastic guest. Uh, and I'm so Thanks, glad man. to finally you. have you on after all this time for our 600th episode. I'm so honored. This Holy was very, shit. this was very special. It's great. <laughs> so great. Uh, your comedy special Friday, and uh, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Good to I really see you, appreciate Joe. it. Good to see you too. Thank all you. Right. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. Yay! Yay. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. 
Are you tired of dating assholes? Do you want a Prince Charming? If so, we're filming a reality show. Sign up here. 12 American women are flown over to the UK for a Bachelor-style reality dating show. There are so many questions about a show like this because it's so odd. These women have been told that they were going to be dating the world's most eligible bachelor, Prince Harry. What? Y'all playing with me, right? You can binge The Bachelor of Buckingham Palace exclusively on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app.